Let us pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So here in verse 1, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus says, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. So Jesus said a lot in this. So we've been kind of preaching through the, what we call the upper room discourse, this long discourse uh, that, of, of teaching that Jesus gives his disciples. Uh, it begins in the upper room, and they've sort of moved on from there, but we kind of call it the upper room discourse. And if you look through your Bible, if you have one of those red-letter Bibles, this is just red page after red page here. This is Jesus just giving them so much teaching after teaching after teaching. Why is he giving them so much teaching? Here it is. He said, I told you all these things, all this, so that you will not fall away. The, rea- the reality is, if they do not hear, if, they don't, if, if the truth that Jesus is teaching here, the realities behind what he's saying, if they don't understand and embrace the reality of this, that they will inevitably fall away because, the, because Jesus is calling them to a very difficult path in which it would be very easy for them to fall away. Look at verse 2. He says, they'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time's coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. They are going to face some serious persecution, and they certainly did. We know from the New Testament and from church history that uh, they, they, many of them suffered greatly for their faith, and some were, were, were martyred and killed. And, and again, in, this is a message to them specifically, but for us today as well, that there are certainly Christians in our world, and it happens all the time, who are killed specifically because of their faith. It doesn't always make the news, uh, but many countries in this world where Christians are being severely persecuted and killed, uh, in prison, but... For us, and we, we live in a very safe kind of place, we may not experience persecution in that way, but this is a message for us too. Because we are living as, as people who are in the kingdom of God and following God's way, and the, the ways of this sinful world and the kingdom of God are at odds with one another. There is always going to be tension there, and there can be even animosity and persecution. Now, we are to live at peace with our world to the extent that we are able uh, to, to love and bless our neighbors, even and especially those who um, might otherwise be hostile to us or might not appreciate our faith, um, that we, we are to bless and to live at peace. And there is blessing that flows through that. But at the end of the day, that tension is very real. And we feel it in different ways. And we're going to experience this, uh, the, the difficulty. Jesus never promised his followers a smooth path. Jesus never promised that his followers, that uh, they would receive the endorsement of their neighbors and their government and that uh, they will be favored in the eyes of the world. No, he said that, uh, that in this world you're going to have trouble, that you're going to face persecution, that the world hated me, so don't be surprised when the world hates you. And so uh, we, we live in that tension, and Jesus warns them, and he warns us too, that uh, he said, what I'm about to say to you, you need this. I'm saying all these words so that you can stand, so that you will not fall away when you experience these trials. And so Jesus is teaching, and he's, he's warning them, and you can picture the disciples there saying, okay, Jesus, you know, just give us the plan. Tell us what to do. Uh, he, we're ready to, ready to receive it. And I pray that way all the time. Jesus, I'm facing something that's really hard. Just tell me what to do. Just give me your plan. Just give me the instructions, and I will go do this, Jesus. And um, Jesus does not give them the plan. He gave them a person. 
Jesus doesn't lay out the whole plan. He, he promised them, promises them his presence. He gives them a guide. He gives them the counselor, the advocate, the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, who would guide them through it. And you know what? In some ways, it's probably good God doesn't give us the whole plan. If God shows you the whole plan and shows you all of the hardship and everything that you'll face in life, I'm not sure we, I'm not sure we want that plan. But he said, I know what it is. I have the plan. I'm not going to give it to you, but I'm going to give you me. I'm going to give you my presence to walk with you every step of the way. He gave them a person. He gave them himself. And that's, that is powerful. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm just so distracted. I'm loving watching the snowfall right now. And I know that's probably mostly rain, but um, can I just have a moment? No, I'm just... <laughs> It'd be funny if that's how this worked. Um, but I love the outdoors. Um, you know, I love to fish. And, and so I could, I fish, I love to fish the local waters around here in the spring and in the winter and through the ice and all these things. And I could tell you, to, uh, if you wanted to go fishing, I could tell you where to go and some things you could try. And I could, you know, you could go and see how that goes. But even better is if I went with you. And I said, this is the spot. And you're going to stand here, and you're going to cast that way, and we're going to, I'm going to be there with you, and you'll be more successful. Although there's places I probably wouldn't show you in that detail because they're, they're mine. But, um, <laughs> but to have a guide is better than just instructions. There was a true story. A woman was uh, trying to come to church on a Sunday morning here and got a little turned around, ended up in Shasheen down the road there, and pulled over and it was kind of a passerby, said, hey, do you know where the free Christian church is? Can you tell me how to get there? And this person said, yeah, it's, just, it's right up Main Street here, and then you're going to turn left on Elm. And, and the person looked at the woman and said, because she didn't have a GPS or anything like that. And the person said, you know what? I'm heading that way. Follow my car. And this person, not a part of our church, never worshipped here, guided this, uh, this woman to the church so she could come here and worship and, and guided, just follow my car all the way and pulled right to the front of the church, beeped, waved goodbye so that she could come and worship. And, you know, it's one thing to just tell someone how to do it. It's another thing to say, I'm going to guide you each step. And that's the promise of Jesus. And he's saying, you're going to need this. Because at first he said, follow me, and he guided them in person. But he said, actually, I'm leaving, so you're going to need something to replace that. Look at verse 4. Uh, the second half of verse 4 says, I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. He said, I'm going back to the Father, so you're going to need a guide to follow. And he says, actually, it's better that I go and do that for you. Because when Jesus was on earth, you know, he could teach to a pretty good, you know, some pretty big crowds, and he could connect personally with some of the disciples, uh, but some of these followers. But he said, when I go to the Father, I'm going to send the advocate. When Jesus leads us by the Holy Spirit from heaven, he, there's no limit to the extent of his guidance to the world, to those who, uh, to, who have the Holy Spirit. And so this is a good thing. And, he, and Jesus said, look, without this guide, you will not be able to navigate the world because we live in a world where there's a lot of lies. There's a lot of deception in the world. And you will never be able to discern what is true from what is untrue, what is a lie, unless the Spirit guides you. And that's exactly what the Spirit is going to do. Look at verse 8. Jesus said, when, when he comes, the Spirit, the, the advocate, the counselor, he says, when he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So he said, look, the Spirit is going to show what is untrue about this world. And then in verse 13, he says, he will guide you into 
into all the truth. So the Spirit shows what is untrue and the Spirit shows what is true, particularly in these three areas. If you jump back to verse 8, it's about um, sin and righteousness and judgment. That's sort of the three ways that I want to, to show you. And we've reflected on this passage before. I hope this will sound familiar to you uh, for if you've been around for a while. But the thing with truth is that we need to just repeat it. We need to remind ourselves what is true. It is because it is so easy. And I'm not just talking about unbelievers out there who are deceived and you know, following the, the ways of Satan. Or it, It's us. It's God's people who can see, can hear lies and kind of start to believe them. And we need to just recognize it, let God's Spirit show us what is true, ground ourselves in that truth. So we're going to reground ourselves here. So first thing, the Holy Spirit will prove the world wrong in verse 8, uh, about sin and righteousness and, ju- and judgment. Verse 9, about sin because people do not believe in me. So the world gets sin wrong. The way that the world understands sin is this, is that there's uh, evil things and there's good things and you, you know, we all kind of know what's evil. And then the stuff that we're, we don't agree on, just kind of come up with your own standard of what's right and what's wrong and just live that way and you'll be okay. And people come up with their own standard of, of right and wrong, what works for them. And when you do that, people feel like, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not evil. And I'm a decent person and I'm okay. And if, if that's what you believe, then you don't need a savior. You don't need Jesus. But that is a wrong view. That is a, that is a deceived view of what sin is. What the Bible actually teaches about sin is that it's not just you know, good behaviors and bad behaviors. Sin is a condition of my human heart that just fails to love God perfectly. That God is perfectly holy, and he is great, and he is perfect in all his ways. And we are imperfect, and because we are imperfect, that separates us from God. I, I, I sometimes describe it like this. If sin was a disease that you could actually see, it would be like red dots all over. You've got these red spots all over your body. And you look around, and we'd see each other, and everybody's kind of covered in red spots. And some people are super covered, and some people are covered. But if you have one red spot, it's terminal. You will die of this disease. And then somebody comes to me, and they're covered in red dots. And they said, see this one here? Is this one of the sin dots, or is this just a freckle? Not sure. Because you seem to say that this is kind of one of those sin dots, but my friends are telling me it's just a freckle. And I said, well, we could debate all day about that one, but you're covered. What about all the other ones? Well, if that one is just a freckle, you're still dead. And look at mine. I'm covered too. We all have this terminal disease. I need a savior. Um, we, we, we don't, it's, it's, it's like, oh, you're a little, you get a little bit of the disease, you get a lot of the disease. You're all dead. We all have all fallen short, as scripture says, of God's glory. So Jesus says, look, the world doesn't get this. They don't understand that, we're all, that the world is lost and that I am the way and the truth and the life, that no one can come to the Father, the holy, the, the, nobody can approach God except through me and what Jesus did on the cross. And so the lie about sin is that I'm not so bad. You know, I'm, I'm okay. And Jesus said, no, you're not okay. You know, and it's not just people in the world who, you know, say, well, I'm not so bad. I mean, we as followers of Jesus, you know, we do a great job minimizing our sin. We love to minimize our sin. You know, we, we say, oh, yeah, we all fall short, you know, sometimes, you know, but I'm still doing okay. And, um, you know, I'm not usually like that. I don't usually react that way. You know, that person kind of provoked me. And, you know, we, we just kind of minimize 
that uh, for ourselves. And we minimize the, the, our neighbor's sin. It, you know, people say, well, you know my neighbors, um, I don't know if they're really sinful. They're super nice. They had us over for dinner. Um, they pay their taxes. They're super nice. They rake their yard before everybody else so the leaves don't blow into my yard. And I mean, they're, they're really good neighbors. I, why would I tell them they need Jesus? I don't want to offend them. You know, they're okay. And the Holy Spirit's job reminds us that the world is broken in sin, and uh, we, need, we, need to be, we need to hear that. We need that. The world needs that. Now, that can sound kind of depressing and low. Our, uh, sort of our spiritual forefathers, the, the Puritans who you know, you know, came to this church as a congregational church, it's sort of our, our heritage, our Puritan heritage. I have this Puritan prayer book. I love it. I use it all the time at elder meetings and stuff. The way that they saw themselves as sinners was really dark. These prayers like, oh, Lord, I am just a worm on the garbage heap of life or all this. Like, you know, it, it just seems like, was that what we want to be? Do we want to be like them? And but here's the beauty. The more that you see how sinful you are apart from Christ, the more beautiful his grace is. The more amazing his love is that he came and rescued me from that place, that he took my sinfulness and, and he cleansed me of that disease, every spot, gone. And if, if we are people who feel like, oh, we're not that bad, you know, we make mistakes, we sin, you know, these little things, and we'll be a little bit grateful to God. But if we realize that we are totally covered head to toe and that it was only by his grace, then we, are, then we realize, wow, his love is so great, and I want to share that love. I want everybody to experience what I experienced. It also reminds me that um, I can't just lean on my own understanding, that even though I've trusted God, you know, in this one area of my life, you know, my desires and my, uh, my own wisdom and my own, the things I, my own intellection and the things I can figure out, that's all shot through with sin, and I need to have the humility to say everything I approach, I need continually for God's spirit to show me what's true and to show me how much I need him to realign my priorities, my desires, my heart, and I need that. And that's a beautiful thing, and the Holy Spirit is gracious to do that. So it's beautiful to be in touch with that and to get that right. So that's about sin. So the second thing is that the Holy Spirit proves the world wrong, verse 10, about righteousness. Because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Proving the world wrong about righteousness. Well, if we, if, we, if we love to, if we get sin wrong because we want to minimize our sin, we get righteousness wrong because we love to elevate our righteousness. But that's a lie. Um, Philippians, let me just read God's word here. Philippians 3, 7. Whatever were my gains, this is the Apostle Paul, he's writing, and he was, he's, he's mentioned all these wonderful things about his life. He said, whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Just as on the cross Jesus cleansed me of my sin, he, at the same time, he gave me his righteousness. We are credited, God looks at us and the, and the righteousness of Christ is there. And all the good that we have and all the good that we do is because he, has, he is transforming us and he is leading us towards that which is true and right and good. It's not because I'm so great. 
And so, but even the good deeds we do sometimes are very marred by our sin, that we're really not as righteous as we, we would like to think that we are. When Jesus came, he went to like the most religious places. He's in the temple, and he's saying, look, you're getting this wrong. The most, um, there was groups of the, like the Pharisees who he was interacting with. They're the most righteous people according to God's law, and, and Jesus is showing them how hollow that their spirituality was. That it wasn't, uh, that they genuinely weren't as righteous as they would like to think they were. And that's, that's what the Spirit is going to do for all of us to say, hey, you know, you think you're so good, but it's, it's the power of God in and through his people. And uh, that's the only righteousness that, that we can claim. Um, but we, there's all these other ways we sort of look at ourselves as superior or so good to other people. You know, I'm, I'm better or I'm. You know, I'm smarter than other people who are making bad decisions in their life. I'm harder working. You know, I'm more generous. I'm, I raise my kids the right way when other people raise their kids clearly the wrong way. You know, I vote the right way when other people clearly don't understand politics. You know, and even the way I drive, you know, I, I let the people, you know, you can come out, you know, and, and hold up the traffic while everybody else behind me, you know, look at how wonderful I am. And these things we do make us feel like we're just so good. And we start to do righteousness on our own. But in, in Jesus Christ, he is our righteousness. He's the one who propels us to that which is truly good. And this is, it's all about his grace at work. I didn't earn that. I didn't achieve that. It's his grace at work in me that does that. Here's the beauty of that. That's really humbling to realize, no, I'm actually not better than my neighbor or than you or anyone else here that I'm only just a product of the grace of God. So I can genuinely learn humility. I don't need to judge others. And I don't need to keep up the appearances of trying to look so righteous and good. And when I share that with other people, I don't have to have it all right. I can say, yeah, actually, you know what? I struggle with that too. Or no, I don't know the answer to your faith question. I'm I don't know. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to have it all together. I struggle too, but I trust. But I have faith, and I want to share that faith with you. And there's a real humility to that that we need, and that is actually kind of refreshing than a bunch of self-righteous people who are trying to create other self-righteous people because we, we just will get it wrong in terms of righteousness. Thirdly, uh, we have... Let's skip that one. Uh, thirdly, we, in verse 11, 16-11, so the Holy Spirit is proving the world wrong about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Kind of a strange sentence, but the world is wrong about judgment, you know, judging what is, it's a kind of court language, what is uh, right or wrong or true or false, because the prince of this world, so that's, uh, that's a way to describe Satan or the devil, now stands condemned. He's the one proven wrong. So the devil, the prince of this world, Satan is, the, is a liar and the father of lies. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, it proves that sin and death and, uh, and lies and all these things are defeated, and Jesus is greater, and he's proving that he is right, that Satan is defeated, he is judged, and we don't need to live, we don't need to listen to his lies anymore. We don't need to judge ourselves or, or view ourselves in light of lies. We need to view ourselves as God views us. And the Holy Spirit's job is to prove this to our hearts, to remind us of God's word, to remind us of his truth. It's so easy to believe lies in this world. And we need to replace the lies that we believe with the truth of God. 
um, it's been a number of years. We used to do this retreat experience called Transformation Weekend. I know some of you have been on that experience. Great experience. And um, one of the exercises we do on this retreat is we just have this long list of lies that are kind of common that people believe. And we just say, hey, look at this list of lies and just put a check mark next to anything that you've ever believed about yourself or about God, and you, you know, people put checks. And then on the other side, the other page was just a list of truth of God, just a bunch of words of Scripture. And so you're going to um, take whatever lie you believe, and then you're going to take God's truth, and you're going to replace it. You're going to connect them. And you're actually going to pray through these things with somebody and, and pray them day after day to just start to get rid of these lies and to start uh, believing God's truth. I want to just, I pulled from, actually, from that resource, I just pulled some of these lies that are easy to believe. And I just, I'll just read them off to you. Here, here we go. God loves other people more than he loves me. Lie. That's a lie. I have messed up so badly that I have missed God's best for me. Lie. God desires to restore and you have a hope for your future. No one will love me or care about me just for me. Lie. Jesus loves you, cares for you just for you. All your brokenness and all your past traumas and all your struggles, he loves you. Uh, lie. I, I don't belong. In life, I will always be left out. Lie. You're included in God's kingdom. You have no greater place. Uh, my value is in what I do. I am valuable because I do good to others or because I am successful. Lie. Your good deeds, your righteousness is rubbish, is garbage, as uh, we pointed out. But the beauty in that, the righteousness of Christ. Uh, another lie. God doesn't care if I have a secret life as long as I appear to be good. That's a lie. Um, lie. I will always be fill in the blank. I will always be angry, shy, jealous, insecure, fearful, etc. Lie, 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 etc. Lie. However you fill that blank in. Again, the transformative power of Christ is alive in you. You will not always be you know, the, 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 there is victory over, over these things. Lie. I will never really change and be as good as God wants me to be. Lie. He's, he will complete the good work he's doing in your heart. Um, the correct way to respond if somebody offends me is to punish them by withdrawing or cutting them off. Lie. We live with forgiveness and grace and, um, and, and God's healing power for the wrongs, the offenses we have. Uh, another lie. My value is based totally on others' judgment or perception of me. That's a lie. It's based on God's perception of you. He loves you. Christ died for you. A lie. If I fail to please people, I won't receive their pleasure and acceptance of me. Therefore, I must try harder. I must do whatever is necessary to try and please people. Lie. You've been freed from that, from having to seek the approval of others because the God of the universe has, has approved of you and, and demonstrated to you that that is true. Uh, a lie. God has let me down before. He may do it again. I can't trust him or feel secure with him. That is a lie. There is no place where you are more secure than in the hand of your loving Savior, and nothing can separate you from his love, um, life or death or angels or demons. Nothing in, in all of creation can separate you from that. That is the most secure place, and nothing can snatch you out of his hand. So we just need to take these lies that are so easy to believe, that the world reinforces towards us, and we need to reground ourselves in the truth of God's word. And that's the job of God's Holy Spirit alive in us. 
So at the end of this chapter, in verse 33, Jesus said this. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus said, look, you're going to go into a world of trouble, but take heart, have my peace, I'm with you, and here's not your instructions and your plan, I am with you, I'm giving, I am your guide, and, um, and we can take heart in that. We could take heart in that. Let us pray. We, we do pray, Lord, come. We pray, come Holy Spirit. I say, Holy Spirit, come and invade our lives in such a way um, that we would know truth and that we would see what is, uh, what is a lie, what is in error, how our world just does not understand how this works. And yet your truth and, and your goodness um, doing its work in us, the good news of, of Jesus at work in our hearts and so, Lord, I just pray that we'd be so aware of your spirit, um, that it would flow in us and through us and overflow as we, uh, as we seek to, to live, to walk this path with you and love, uh, love our neighbors and to love our world. And Lord, so may it be. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.